0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our series, Why Follow Jesus, today with a message titled, Soul Food That Satisfies. So let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 6, verses 30 to 35, as we join Dr. Newfeld now.
1: All of human life is taken up in one long search for permanent satisfaction. And this is the driving motivation behind why every human being keeps on living. We were created to be happy, contented, at peace and satisfied, and our souls crave these things, needs them, our souls desire to feed on this. Our soul needs soul food, if you will, You know, to grow and to be healthy, even as our body needs food to be healthy. The food the soul needs is meaning, acceptance, hope, and of course, reconciliation with our Creator. Take away from any human being any hope of ever being satisfied, and that person will either commit suicide or failing that. That person will attempt to anesthetize the pain of a wounded soul. Through alcohol or drugs or violence, pornography or anything else that can ease the pain of soul hunger, even for a moment. We are desperate for satisfaction. See, that I think is both the tragedy and the hope of the human condition. It's a tragedy because too often we allow our desires to be fed by things that, that don't ultimately satisfy. And so we sell our souls out cheap. To put it another way, we're far too easily satisfied, or I might say we sell our souls to the devil for his poisonous meal. Take the man or woman who spends a lifetime accumulating money or fame or a reputation. I mean, these are, as you know, temporal matters, and and the temporal matters, even though they're temporal, will seem to provide for the soul what it needs, at least for the moment. But the problem, of course, is that we're consuming empty calories. I once had a conversation with a missionary who had spent years working with a very impoverished people group. He told me that one of the greatest problems that he ever faced was trying to convince people not to eat a certain root, which had become a staple of that people's diet. He said that abundant root that they constantly ate actually filled their empty stomachs and it gave them the impression that they were satisfied, but there wasn't enough nutrition in that route to survive. And so, while the stomach felt full, they were actually starving to death. There's nothing unusual about that, did you know? Most of the human race treats their own souls in precisely that way. They feed their souls on earthly riches, or on sex, or on fame, or on the exercise of power. And they're slowly dying, but for a time, it actually doesn't feel that way. Indeed, they're feeling satisfied. They're even feeling intense joy. You know, Jesus called that satisfaction of the soul bread. You know, in the ancient world, and in fact, in in many third world countries today, bread is the basic staple that supports life. People eat bread just to survive. So, in the text we're about to read, Jesus will tell us what we need to survive spiritually. Now, John chapter 6 is one of Jesus' great sermons. He preached it in the only synagogue that was in Capernaum, not far away from where he had grown up in Nazareth. Capernaum was a small fishing village along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, but it would have also included, you know, farmers and day laborers. But Capernaum was at a crucial junction through which people came from various different sectors of Israel and also from a great variety of countries. The Via Maris, this is a major trade highway that went right by that village. And you might remember that Matthew, the tax collector, had set up his tax booth there at the junction of trade flowing through that area. And so the village would have been made up of Jews, but it would also have had an international feel to it. So when Jesus identified himself as the bread that came down from heaven for the whole world, he meant not just Israel, but he actually meant you know the whole world. Please also remember that as we read through John 6, the passage tells us that it was Passover and we don't have to guess what Bible passages were being read and taught in the synagogue. I mean, just like Easter and Christmas for us, Passover for them would have been taken up in retelling the story of the exodus from Egypt and the flight into the desert. Remember also that just the day before Jesus had you know fed some, I'm going to say about twenty thousand people with five barley loaves and two small fish. And the crowd who had been fed remembered that Moses had fed people in the wilderness, and they were hoping that Jesus was the new Moses. This is the background to the sermon. Now, for today, we're only going to look at the beginning of that sermon, and over the next several days, we're going to continue to examine this sermon one step at a time. So, let's read John 6, 30 to 35. So, they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, like so many of Jesus' sermons, the crowd's engaged. I mean, some shout questions at him, and he answers. It's a sermon, all right, but it's also a dialogue. And we also know that Jesus has just been telling them that the great task in life, the the goal for any human soul, is to believe in him. And the crowd responds by saying, well then, show us a sign that we may see and believe in you. Moses gave us manna. What can you do? That might seem strange, given the fact that they've just witnessed an outstanding miracle. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. Remember, they only counted the men, and so I'm assuming a crowd much larger than 5,000, especially when you you know, you know count the women and the children. With five barley loaves and two fish, he, he had fed all of them. And you might hear the response to Jesus, and you might be incredulous. I mean, you're asking for a sign. I mean, what is it that you think you've just seen? But remember, it's Passover, and they have been once again hearing the traditional teaching around Passover. I mean, first the deliverance from Egypt, and then the story of the angel of death, and how he passed over Israel and saved them from wrath, then the Red Sea crossing, and finally the years of wilderness wanderings, and there the miracle of the manna, the bread from heaven that fed God's people. See, the crowd might respond, well, listen, it is true that you just performed a miracle. I mean, we were there. You fed, you know, 20,000 of us and we were hungry. But Moses performed a miracle of feeding a million people every day for 40 years, 40 years straight. Now that's a sign from heaven. But of course, Moses did more. I mean, he said 10 plagues on the most powerful nation of the day, and he released us from slavery. And on top of that, he parted the waters. He gave the 10 commandments. He, He struck a rock and water came out. And the crowd is saying, if we're going to believe in you you've got to do better than what we've just seen. Feed us again today and then tomorrow and then some and deliver us from Roman bondage. And of course, the reason for that is that their synagogue would have been teaching Passover. And no doubt they would have recently heard a sermon from Deuteronomy 18 verse 15, which are the words of Moses. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. And then in verse 18, God says, I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And so the crowd is saying to Jesus, if you really are the great prophet to come, the greater Moses, the greater deliverer, who is the Messiah, well, you haven't even begun to convince us yet. Now, there's something here that that highlights the problem with the human heart. The human heart is never satisfied. See, I remember some time ago, a a very well-known separatist leader in Canada was making demands on the Canadian federal government, and one reporter asked him in an interview if he could please explain the end game. What do you want, he asked, and that separatist leader simply said, more. See, that's, that's the human soul. I'm not satisfied. I want more. You had better give me more than you've already given me. That's what the crowd says to Jesus. Before we ever come to the point of believing you, there's got to be more. Now, Jesus could have said at that point in time, well, you know, in the time of Moses, after Moses fed them for 40 years, did those people think that they had gotten enough? I mean, look again at the book of Deuteronomy. It's Moses' farewell address. He's standing on the plains of Moab, very close now to where Israel will enter the promised land. Moses knows he's going to die there and he's not going to enter. And so, before he dies, he has something he wants to say. Deuteronomy is the thing that he wanted to say. Now, near the end of the book, chapter 29, verses two to four, listen as Moses speaks. It says, Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, your eyes have seen all that the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and to all his land. With your own eyes, you saw those great trials, those miraculous signs and great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a mind that understands, or eyes that see, or ears that hear.
0: November is an exciting time at Back to the Bible Canada. This month, we offer you a booklet of meditations entitled Quiet Spaces for Christmas, a 30-day devotional focused on the themes of Christmas. It invites you to spend time daily reflecting on God's Word and hiding the truth in your hearts. We're also offering an alternative gift for the youngsters in your life. It's a wonderful story from the pen of Laugh-Again's own Phil Calloway called Jake and the Christmas Surprise. This funny, thoughtful story is perfect for that bedtime read with the kids or grandkids. It also provides questions for reflection at the end of each short chapter. Choose one of these great Christmas resources as our gift to you. And if you'd like both or additional copies, they can be purchased at backtothebible.ca. We hope these resources will bless you and your loved ones this coming Christmas season.
1: After 40 years in the desert in which the people of Israel saw miracle after miracle, bread every day, Moses declared that those people had hard hearts, deaf ears, and blind eyes. Hearts were hard and unreceptive to God. After all the miracles, they did not believe. See, the problem is that once we're on the track of constantly wanting more and greater miracles, better and better religious experiences, well, the soul is still not satisfied. I remember a number of years ago, there was a song that we used to sing in church and it was called, There Must Be More Than This. You know, I know, I know, the song was trying to lead us to reject a life of mediocrity and complacency and reject second best for our lives, but still I was troubled. If we sing, There Must Be More Than This, well, I mean, that can be interpreted in at least two ways. I mean, one way is to say, there's got to be more than feeding my soul on things that don't last. There must be more than this, and that would be a very good conclusion to come to, a great song to sing. But I thought that some might interpret the song to say, there must be more of this. I've already had some miracles. I've had some blessings, some good worship service. I just want better miracles, and I want better temporal blessings, and I certainly want a far more exciting worship service than last week. There there must be more than this. And when we think that way, we're eating a food source that does not satisfy. Our souls are in serious malnutrition and all we can think is, if I had more miracles and more blessing and more excitement, well then I'd be satisfied. And that's what the crowd is telling Jesus. You, they say, are still a long way back of Moses. So until you at least get to his level, you're not yet worthy of us believing in you. There must be more. So let's listen to Jesus' answer, and it's recorded in verse 32. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Now, please remember the context. What has upset the crowd is that Jesus has already refused their heart's desire that he become their king. They want more than an afternoon miracle. They want someone to deliver them from their Roman oppressors. Now, add to that this thought. Some rabbis in Jesus' day taught that manna came from a great storehouse of bread in heaven. Now, they got that idea from Psalm 78, verses 23 to 25, and that passage says, Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate the bread of angels, he sent them food in abundance." Well, so given that psalm, that reality, Jesus is very keen to correct the idea that Moses produced bread. Moses did nothing of the kind. God produced it. God opened storehouses and rained down bread. And so when they were comparing Jesus to Moses, well, already they were on the wrong track. But Jesus is still not done. So having made that point that it wasn't Moses at all, but you think it was, and that's why you're comparing me to Moses, Jesus now adds a second point, and that's recorded in verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Ha <laughs> There it is. You shouldn't have been comparing Jesus to Moses. You should have been comparing Jesus to the manna. That's the proper comparison. Now, again, this idea that Jesus is the bread that has come down from heaven, well, that should not have been foreign to any of these people. The rabbis often taught that the bread of God was in the temple. It was on what was called the table of the showbread. This is the table in the holy place in the temple. It was also called the bread of the presence. It was to be changed up every single day, and it was become fresh bread. There would be 12 loaves of bread laid out on two piles of six loaves each. It was there as a symbolic representation It signified that God daily provided his people with food. I mean, think of it like the prayer that we offer before a meal. You know, where does this food come from? Well, it comes from God. And since that's so, we need to give him thanks. For without his provision, I mean, we're nothing. All bread, therefore, whether it's a miracle or God's daily provision, it comes from God. So then here's Jesus' point. If God is the provider of all that you need for daily food, And since Jesus has been teaching the people that he did the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 just to show them a sign that God not only provides for their daily needs, but that they also should seek for food that never spoils, well, then they should look to God to provide for them eternal food, food that ultimately satisfies their soul. And if they'd been listening to Jesus, they would instantly understand why this moment was a greater moment than the people had ever seen under Moses. In Moses' day, God sent manna from heaven to feed them temporally. But on this day, the day in which these people lived, God had now sent Jesus from heaven. He comes not just to feed Israel for a day. Notice how Jesus puts it. He comes to give life, he means eternal life, not just to Israel but to the whole world. Now, here they were in Capernaum at the crossroads of the world. And in this place, something greater than manna had descended. This food would satisfy the souls of the whole world forever. So it turns out that the feeding of the 5,000 is just a sign or it's evidence that that's exactly what's happening among them if they could only see it. And if they had been listening, that would have become the matter of discussion. But of course, this has now become the usual course of things. They're not listening at all. And in verse 34, they say, Sir, give us this bread always. That is to say, well, since you have a higher quality of bread than the bread that Moses gave, then just give us this new kind of bread for the next 40 years because it's higher quality and and we're into that. Start today. See, do you see? There must be more than this. There must be a better bread than the manna. There must even be better stuff than we got yesterday. You seem to be talking our language now. We want more. And if we heard you correctly, we think that's what you've just promised us. The book of John is an interesting book. As John accurately records the sayings of Jesus, he tells us of of seven times throughout his ministry that Jesus began a sentence with the words I am. And of course, that's very important because if we read ahead to John 8:58, Jesus makes the astonishing statement He says, before Abraham was born, I am. Sounds very much like what God said to Moses. Moses is standing before the burning bush in the desert and there Moses asks God, what is your name? So when I go to Egypt to deliver Israel, what shall I tell everyone when they ask, what's the name of your God? And with that, God responds by saying, I am who I am. Another way of saying that is, look, I am the God who exists. And as John records the sayings of Jesus seven times in this book, Jesus begins the sentence with the words, I am. In John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In John 10, Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Again, in John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. In John 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. But this, here in John 6, this is the first time that Jesus ever used an I am statement. So let's read it, John six thirty-five. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Ha, on the one hand, Jesus is claiming that he fulfills the hopes of Isaiah 55, verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come and buy and eat. And also Isaiah 49, verse 10. They shall not hunger or thirst, for he who has pity on them will lead them. In short, what Jesus is saying is that, you know, you want better manna, do you? Well, the reason you want better manna is because all of you know that your soul is not satisfied. And you should also know that if all I did was give you temporal food, you'd still not be satisfied. Instead, I am the kind of food that gives eternal life. That's who I am. And that's what your soul needs. You know, I began by saying that all human beings have a problem. We've been feeding our souls with food that's not satisfying, and we're dying. And we don't know how to satisfy ourselves. We desperately need peace with God. We desperately need inner joy. We desperately need to discover why we have been created, and we need to live with meaning. We need to be reconciled to God, and we need to have hope. But all that we've eaten are empty calories, and we find that we're starving to death. And God knows. And so he has opened up the storehouse of heaven and he's rained down soul bread that satisfies forever. The bread that came down from heaven is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If you eat of him, you'll never hunger again.
0: John, given what You've said, I believe it. Jesus is our sufficiency, but is it also true to say that sometimes we're just not going to feel satisfied?
1: Yeah, this is such an important thing that that we understand that we have confident trust that Jesus is what He says He is. Now, you know, feelings are a strange thing because they come, they go, and and feelings uh, can indicate exactly you know something that's disturbing our own psyche or our own soul. But feelings can be a very unreliable guide, and so um, it, it can tell me that you know that I've put my trust in the wrong places. Why am I feeling such unease? And of course, the Psalms are filled with this emotional response to God at times when things seem to be going wonky. And I know all of that, but but faith always responds by saying, "I find in Jesus all that I ultimately need," and believes that and embraces that in one's heart. That does satisfy us in the
0: end. Thanks so much again, John. And remember to join us again next week as we continue this series, Why Follow Jesus, here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. It's never too early to start planning your travels for the new year. And our April 2024 Caribbean Ministry Cruise may just be the right mix between relaxing and spending time refreshing your walk with Jesus. You won't want to miss this incredible opportunity to vacation and be under the direct teaching of Back to the Bible Canada's Dr. John Newfeld, Laugh with Laugh Against Phil Calloway, and share moments of musical inspiration with special guest, Amanda Stott. With breathtaking scenery, laughter, fellowship, and spiritual encouragement, it's guaranteed to be an unforgettable vacation experience. Just visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. And please note that with all ministry travel events, no ministry funds are used and all related costs are covered by those who participate.